and welcome to Tranquil Awakenings with me, Debbie Ison. On today's episode, I'm going to be chatting to my friend Stephen Blake, and we're going to be talking all about pain. So, welcome, Stephen. Welcome to you. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank, thank you for your opportunity as well, because I like to get the word out to people. So, because people don't realise that you can actually be free of pain. They think you could, you have to manage it or do something with it. But you can actually be free of it. And that's the amazing thing, isn't it, about what you do? And I know I work with so many clients that come to me and they will have been given a diagnosis by some sort of medical professional normally yes. that have told them that they will never get any better, that they're going to be in pain for the rest of their lives yeah. or they're going to get progressively worse. And they feel quite hopeless when they've been given that diagnosis. Absolutely. And, and this is the problem because that is all that... Uh, um, the normal medical uh, view of it is, um, it, it's not changed from that. Uh, and it's it's slowly moving that they're understanding pain better. But it, it still literally is, if you've got chronic pain, well, we're not quite sure why you've got it. So um, that makes it a bit difficult to diagnose the drugs and everything else that they're going to need for it. Mm. Um, so it's usually, they make statements, and I've had this statement said to me because I had... Um, arthritis of the spine and oh, ankylosing right. spondylitis. And uh, the doctor said, uh, well, everybody has back pain. So that sort of stopped you looking for it. And then he said, and we're not meant to be upright. Wow. The, the human body, is, you know, we've, we've evolved to be upright from on all fours. And it's going to take another few hundred thousand years before we actually, which is rubbish. I mean, yeah. it's totally, totally <laughs> rubbish. But, but I appreciate this is what my clients have been told. And mm -hmm. so when I promote myself and I say, yeah, it's not managing it, it's actually removing it altogether, it, it's sort of like, well, you can't do that. There's going to probably be a lot of suspicion with that, particularly oh, if people have been told that there is no option for them. They've yeah. just got to live with it and get on with it. And that can have a catastrophic effect as well in terms of people's mental health because it yeah. leaves them feeling hopeless. Yeah, I do. I've been teaching this for about seven years now, and uh, what I teach and the method that I use to get people out of pain hasn't changed a lot. In fact, you were one of my first pupils, were you? Um, it hasn't changed much from that, so you could still use that and it would still work just as well. I've tweaked quite a lot of bits to make it uh, make sure it's long-lasting so mm -hmm. we get the cause and remove the cause and all that. But I think we were even doing that in the early stages. So yeah. it's been tweaked, but there's been a major change in how I think about it. Okay. And so when I talk to clients now, it's not, you know, I turn your pain off, which, mm -hmm. which it was when I started, <laughs> which is a bit arrogant, really. Um, and it came across quite arrogant, you know, it's sort of like, I turn your pain off, well, should, and it was like, should you? Yeah. Um, so because the body heals itself, I'm now saying to people, well, look, I'm going to help you turn your own pain off. Mm-hmm. And I will need to talk through yeah. why you can turn pain off, uh, chronic pain off, mm -hmm. and that it's more safe to do so than not. Um, so I, I've just built on that side of it, of actually getting people to understand they're in control of everything. And, and it's it's so interesting because uh, pain is really an emotion. Oh, pain is no different to an emotion. Mm -hmm. So if you get a sudden anxiety or a sudden anger, mm -hmm. it's no different to suddenly being in pain. It's a message from your body saying, you know, you, you'll need this in a minute. Yeah. Or you need to move away from that or stop doing that. Mm -hmm. Or here's a warning, you're in danger. Uh, so if you see it as a range of emotions as well, I, I sort of now help people with their emotions as well. Mm -hmm. 
So by telling them they're in control, and, and I don't think anybody's ever told people that before. No. You, you sort of have an overwhelming feeling, and when you have that overwhelming feeling, you don't quite know what to do. You know it's going to be horrible. So you sort of join in with it, mm -hmm. and you feel under attack. So you, you join in with it every way. Um, so I'll show, I'll show you a technique uh, later on oh, that, that will be yeah. helpful for that. So, uh, yeah. And I think that was something I found really empowering when I did the training with you. It's getting people to understand that pain is a message. Pain is your body, your mind saying something needs to be adjusted or balanced or changed in some way. But once that message has been received and understood, there's no reason to keep it any longer. Yeah. So, so the initial pain is a good idea. So, so we've got uh, two types of pain that's, that's recognised. I call it three, but there's, there's two types of pain. There's acute pain. That is pain that's just something's just happened mm -hmm. to you and there's still a need for the pain because it's driving you to do something about it. Yeah. So if I was to touch a hot plate and um, I'd get an immediate withdrawal from it, mm -hmm. uh, there is a split second where the brain decides that pulling your hand away is not going to put it in more danger. Yep. You know, if there was open machinery there and I pulled my hand off a hot plate but shoved it in open machinery mm -hmm. and it wrenched my wrist off, um, it wouldn't be better for me. So there's a split second where it's like, what shall I do? Mm -hmm. And then it goes, this is the best movement. Okay. And with... With the initial pain, there's a sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. and, and that's called acute pain, and it's still called acute pain until 12 weeks later. Okay. But I see that as a standalone thing mm -hmm. where you're, you're in danger, you're doing some harm to yourself, and you remove yourself from the harm. That's one lot of pain. Okay. And then it becomes acute pain to me. Mm -hmm. So when you move, if imagine this is a hot plate yep. and I move my hand away from it now. What's going to happen is that's going to be really urgent. It's going to make me move away from it. And it's going to be really painful. It's going to mm -hmm. be really sharp pain. Yep. Um, so pain pain has different attributes to it. Um, but I never usually look into that with chronic pain. There's no need because okay. it's unnecessary. So you get this initial really sharpness of pain. And that's almost always a 10 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> because that isn't, if you had a chronic pain, that level of that 10 and that sharpness of 10, you, you couldn't survive. You couldn't function, could you? No, you no. couldn't do anything. So when somebody says they've got a 10 out of 10 pain, they're not meaning that it's the same as that. No, type it's the pain type, yeah. yeah. So what happens immediately that I've done that? I'll check out if I've done any damage. Mm -hmm. So this relies on the brain working out, have I done this sort of thing before? What, what am I likely to expect? What am I looking for? And then the eyes join in, the memory bank joins in, and you look at your hand. Now, if I've not got a blister or anything, I'll probably just get a sense of heat there. Yep. And it, if it's caught it a bit, I, it might feel like it's on fire. Mm -hmm. Now, the brain's able to give you different sensations. So... If it feels like it's on fire, we know that water puts fire out. Ah, yeah. So we now shove it under the tap, mm -hmm. and that cools it down. Because we all know that meat can carry on cooking once it's got <laughs> the heat within it, yeah. and you just meat. Mm -hmm. So if you leave it uh, sort of hot, it's just going to carry on, and it's going to do more and more damage. Okay. So the initial thing is put it under the tap. Mm -hmm. Even if you're going to need to go to the hospital in the end, it's still going to be put it under the tap. I'm going to give you this burning sensation. So we put the fire out. Now, if we leave it under the cold tap for a while, we get the opposite. We get the cold numbness. And then we go, oh, I can't bear that anymore. And we take our hand out. Mm -hmm. And then it heats up a bit. And then we end up doing the hokey-cokey with the tap. But if we see a massive blister there... The brain will go, okay, right, you've just got to cool it down, but you've got to get to the hospital. Yes. 
So pain is always a measure of what you need to do, but it's designed by you for you to get you to take the right action. Mm -hmm. And it's always the lowest level, uh, possible level of annoyance to get you to do the work. That makes so much sense. Yes. Now, if it was the maximum, well, you'd never know. You'd touch your hand on something, you'd do a slight cut, you'd end up rushing off to the hospital with it. Um, so it has to say, oh, you've broken your arm. Oh, that's really serious. Here's a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's a slight cut there. I'll give you enough so you put elastoplast on it, and that'll yeah. just keep the germs and everything out. So it, it's forcing us down this route of here's the right thing to do. So we've got the initial moving away from the problem. We've got the, what do I do now? And then if you've, if you've had medical attention, broken arm or whatever, mm -hmm. um, everything heals within about seven weeks. Okay. Uh, even a broken arm will be fully mended in seven mm -hmm. weeks, or mended as well as it's ever going yeah. to be. Obviously, if you've had a large cut, you'll have scar tissue there. Mm -hmm. And that might be a bit stiffer than the rest of it around it. So you might still feel a bit of pain because it pulls on the tension of it. Yeah. But after 12 weeks, so there's this bit of leeway, it should mm -hmm. have mended by now. Let's give it a few weeks extra. And now we call it chronic pain. So when the doctor diagnoses you with chronic pain, now most people misunderstood this, and, and I did initially, when I, even when I first was doing pain. Chronic sounds like horrible, heavy yeah. pain. It's chronic. Oh, my God, it's chronic. <laughs> but it isn't. It's just this time period. Okay. So if you've gone 12 weeks with pain, that was the acute pain, but mm -hmm. now you've got chronic pain. And now what you've got is your brain is saying, I want you to do something about it. Now, okay. if you've had a broken arm and had a plaster on it and it's mended now, but they imagine they operated and put a pin in it and a plate... You might now think, oh, I'm not, I'm not whole now. I'm, I have to have a bit of metal in there. And when it's cold weather, metal feels cold. So it's really bad when I get cold. And when I go on holiday to Cyprus, you know, it, it feels a lot better. Yeah. And, and it's rubbish. It's nothing to do. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the cold. It's nothing to do with the temperature. It's the fact that you're not so stressed when you're in Cyprus yeah. on your holidays. Um, so people start to think, oh, it's to do with heat and temperature and metal's cold, so a, a cold thing in my arm. Um, and so what you've got in is, is a message that's redundant. It's actually saying, do something. And you're saying, well, I can't. Yeah. Now, the doctors will tell you this, that uh, everybody who's in chronic pain will have been told that it will get worse and worse and it will spread in area. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you haven't been told that, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm telling you now, that's how it used to be, uh, not with what I do. Now, if um, if you're getting a message from your brain that's saying, do something about it, yep. the, the natural thing, and, and you're a mum, so you'll know this, is that if you're told not to do something, if you get told a second <laughs> time, it gets louder. <laughs> and when I was younger, it was like, Stephen, don't do that. And then it was, Stephen, don't do that. And then it was, Stephen, don't do that. What? <laughs> so you actually literally got pain if you didn't take any yeah. notice. And the brain is no different. If it's trying to tell you to do something, mm -hmm. it keeps dropping hints. And gradually, over years, it just increases the volume a little bit. But it's not enough to notice. Yep. So there's not this sudden thing. And it is only dropping a hint. Mm-hmm. So you've got two aspects of the mind. You've got the conscious and the unconscious. And I call it two aspects, because so we're not saying it's two different things. Yeah. 
So there's the bit of the mind that you're aware of, that's called consciousness, and yes. the bit we're unaware of, and we usually call it the unconscious. Mm -hmm. uh, but you teach hypnotherapy, so quite often it's, it's good to call it the subconscious, yep. to point out that it's under the command of the conscious mind. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the only term that I use for it. It's under the command of the conscious, so it's sub, as in submarine, yep. under the water. So... But I don't like calling it the sub because it's actually cleverer than the conscious mind. Mm -hmm. It's got more capacity. It's faster. It's th There's lots of different thoughts on this, <laughs> anywhere between 100 and 1,000 times faster in its thought wow. process. There's even been scientific studies done where it works out the answer before they ask the question. It's incredible, and, and isn't nobody, it? Yeah. Nobody quite knows how. <laughs> There's a split-second difference, but mm -hmm. it's answering the question before they ask it. Yep. So there is, we're all interconnected in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, it must be. <laughs> but, but that's a bit spooky. So uh, let's move on. So, um, so we've got the conscious and the unconscious. The conscious only holds about eight bits of data. Yeah. Doesn't mean much to anybody, but that's my, if I read my phone number out one digit at once, that would literally fill your conscious mind. Yes. I can then say, well, listen to me as well as remembering my number. You can't do both. No, it's too much. Yeah. So you 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 could either hold my number mm -hmm. and go, I've remembered it, Stephen, but I'll go, what did I say? And you go, I don't know. <laughs> or you can listen to me. Yeah. I'd rather people listen to me. So that's the capacity of your conscious mind. And your conscious mind is only there for free will. Okay. It makes us different to animals. It goes, oh, I want to be a poet, even though I might starve and I mm -hmm. might not live in a very nice house and I'll never earn any money at it, but I'll really enjoy <laughs> what I do. And that's free will. That's, yeah. that's where we should go with it. So we've got the unconscious that then does everything else for you. So it's running your heart, your lungs and everything else. And it runs all these programs that you've either had installed when you mm -hmm. were younger or you were born with or you installed them after that. Yeah. So there's certain periods of a life. So pre, uh, when we're born, we're born with a personality. And, and the best way of describing that is just look at a litter of puppies. There'll be, you know, six or seven in the litter. They'll all be different. Mm -hmm. There'll be one that scrambles out and is naughty. There's one <laughs> hidden in the corner. And then there's six, in, you know, five or six in between it yeah. that, of all different natures. Mm -hmm. And so we're born with this nature to do things and, and have this desire to do things all the time or be a bit sluggish or be generally happy or generally miserable. Yeah. And we're born like that. And there's not much as therapists we can do about that because that's your natural state of being. And, and if you want to alter anything, you can alter it just by training yourself to be different. But there's a sort of default there. Mm -hmm. So you're born like that with this personality. And the personality is how you view life. Yep. So you can be in the same house as a identical twin with, go to the same school and everything else and turn out entirely different. Mm -hmm. And also something that you see as abuse and it really destroys you might not be seen like that from your identical twin. Definitely. And it's your own perception of it because the unconscious doesn't record like a video recorder. It records your feelings about the mm -hmm. thing at the yeah. time. <laughs> so... Um, you know, you get feedback from several people at the same event. You'll get different feedback from Definitely. everybody. So we've got that. We've also got that we're born to parents. Now, uh, if the parents look like they're going to split up, 
that's one third of your um, protection is going to disappear. Mm-hmm. So it's great if you can stay together until the kids are old enough to leave the nest, which used to be 16. I think it's 32 now. Isn't it? <laughs> um, so there, there is a thing there that it's, it's, it's not just about getting balance in the child's life, but it's also this feeling of safety for them. Okay. Because they're getting both sides of it. They're getting the caring, loving nature from one side and the stronger sort of provider side as well. Okay. And, and we've all got that in it anyway. We in, have, in, yeah. In a, uh, not, not so equal shares, but mm-hmm. um, and proportionally different. So you, you're also born with parents. So And I have to look out for that in uh, children that get ill young or have pain uh, as teenagers, but they've been ill from an early time. And it quite often relates to the parents about to split up or the children wow, Children thinks the parents split up. So there's all sorts of stuff goes on with the body uh, because it's all, all in the mind. Um, and I'll come to that in a few minutes. So then you've got programmes that are installed in you until you're about six. And when I say installed in you, it's because you don't have much of a conscious mind. It's not fully developed mm-hmm. until about six or seven. So as a therapist, usually I'm taking people back to about six, five, six or seven. That, that's the usual age that I'm taking them back to to find the original cause of anxiety and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So um, up until that age, because your conscious isn't fully developed, you're not aware of right and wrong as, as well as you should be. And, and this is why it's difficult to punish children, because they don't really know <laughs> that it's... You, you might tell them that it's wrong, but they don't... They, they can't join in with that concept. No. So they see things happening and they join in with it. Mm-hmm. And this is how they learn to walk and talk and everything else. So it's really it's a really good learning process. Definitely. Um, but you see, if you're a young child and a, and a bigger child snatches a toy off you in a, in a you know, play garden or something, um, you don't say, oh, that really hurt me. I'm never going to do that to another child. Mm-hmm. You find a smaller child yourself and you snatch the, off the smaller child because... That's just what you've just learned. Mm-hmm. You know, it might feel horrible, but now I've got the toy. <laughs> so we go through that up until about the age of six. And then we get a little bit more careful about what we're learning and is this right or wrong and do I want to do this? Why am I being forced to do this? So this is why kids get stroppy as well. Yep. And then as they get towards 16, they're growing into adults and, and they go through this not all of them, but uh, and I didn't. But you go through this sort of angry stage of uh, fighting against the parents, and because you want your freedom, but you're not ready for it yet. But you think you are, mm-hmm. and and you're testing out becoming an adult. Yep. And then we go on to colleges and universities and things like that, and we still have to fit in with the norms. Mm-hmm. So all the time we're getting all these programs. And, and we can literally fight them after six, but we have to join in with them to some extent yep. to be part of normal society. Mm-hmm. So we've got all these programs running. Now, when people see me as a therapist, and, and I've dealt mainly with anxiety initially, uh, and I, I then found out that the neural pathway for physical and emotional pain is the same neural pathways. Wow. So everything I learned from anxiety, I could map across to the physical pain work that I used to do. Uh, and so it's it's all about this finding out why somebody got the thing in the first place. So with anxiety, it's finding out the cause. Dealing with the cause as an adult now instead of as a child. Mm-hmm. 
and getting them to see it for what it was, and usually it's not happened since, yep. so it's a trauma or abuse or something like that. But it can be quite trivial as well. It, it, what One guy I dealt with, I mean, about six foot six, and built like a tank, frightened to death, uh, of uh, just very anxious. And it turned out he, he was in an exercise class mm-hmm. and had to crawl between two benches, and he was too big, and he got stuck. And all the kids laughed at him. Yeah. Um, but he was big for his age. Mm-hmm. You know, he was older than the class and all that. And when I took him back and we saw that, he recognised, well, if he'd have been in the audience, he would have laughed. Yep. So suddenly this thing that screwed his life up for like 40-odd years went. Because it was like, oh my God, is that all that's messed me up? And it's so amazing, isn't it? That <laughs> yeah, change in perception. And I get it time and time again. I, I experience a lot of clients that have had horrific abuse, awful yeah. things happen to them. Yeah. But there's also a lot of clients that come to work with me that it hasn't been anything like that. It's often something that we as adults would see as being completely trivial. Yeah. But to that child, it's brought up such overwhelming emotion. It, it sort of gets stuck there. So yeah. I had one lady quite early on in my career who she came to me and she was over 30 stone. She was oh, wow. really struggling with her weight. And she's like, something awful must have happened in my childhood that I can't remember. Yeah. So I took her back and we got to 11 years old. She was playing in the garden with her cousin at her grandma's house. Grandma gave her and her cousin a packet of crisps. Mum came to pick her up. You're not having those crisps. You've already had a packet today. And she felt so angry. Wow. How dare anybody tell me what I can and can't have to eat and whenever. Yeah. I'm going to choose what I want when I want from now on and no one can stop me. And it was just... <laughs> this sheer like I'm going to eat what I want and it was a program that had just got set in there so as soon as we could identify that from the adult perspective and look at it and think well mum wasn't being unkind to you mum was trying to look after you because you need the appropriate nutrition because that's what food is all about she could let it all go because it was no longer perceived from that 11 year old perspective anymore and this is the thing that there's so many books written about being screwed up and all this sort of thing that you and, and I've, I've even read things recently that are so stupid <laughs> that you have to kill your old self to build the new self okay you know you, you have to let that bit of you die and uh, what rubbish you've got one program mm-hmm. that causes you to have this anxiety and when that program goes, the anxiety drops down. Now, yep. um, if I explain my fire alarm analogy, it's really helpful. Um, because I talk about, I don't remove things, I reset the system. Yeah. And it's important to understand that, because imagine we're all in the, the same room, uh, the viewers and everything, and uh, the alarm goes off. And it will be so loud mm-hmm. that... It'd be difficult to think or talk or shout at anybody and so literally you'd do what you've been trained to do from a child which is leave the building mm-hmm. without collecting your objects and don't run and all this sort of thing yeah. be- because what the alarm is saying is get out now or you die mm-hmm. and, and it's such a strong message now it's no different to pain or anxiety or anything else it's a message that's getting you to take action yeah. or preparing you to take action so when we're a child, we have to be taught not to run so that we don't end up as a pile of bodies in the doorway all trying to fight each other. You know, we walk out even though it could be dangerous, mm-hmm. but it's not dangerous. You know, we're not on fire. Yeah. Uh, but it could be really serious. So it's just this warning and we know how to behave with it. 
So imagine now we're in the building and, and I now say, well, we'll carry on. And you all go, no, get out, Stephen. <laughs> so you get out of the building. And when you get out of the building, you wait outside and somebody calls the fire brigade. Now, they could uh, be better off if they turn the alarm off so they could listen to each other and shout, you know, kitchen's cleared. Oh, it's in the bathroom. Everybody in the bathroom. Um, but they don't clear up the message until they resolve what the problem is. Yep. So I'm the same. I can't work on somebody unless they've been to the doctors with it and they've diagnosed it properly. And that's so essential, isn't it? Yeah, because absolutely. there could be something underlying. Yeah. And I remember when I trained with you very early mm. on, there was a lady who had also, I don't think she'd actually trained with you, but had heard about the training. Mm. And she was having some palpitations in oh, her right. heart and she decided she was going to try and switch those off and of course she couldn't switch them off because she was I <laughs> yes. think she was having a heart attack or there was something more serious going on I and I think that's the thing all. isn't it you can yeah. only switch it off if it's not something oh, yes. that needs to be dealt with and it's so yeah. important that you get that medical sort of so, so this is the beauty of, of my work we're, mm. we're going to the very part of you that decides what level of pain you need mm -hmm. you know whether it's pain to get to the hospital or pain to put an elastoplast on we're going back to that very part of you that decides the pain message and we're saying, can you review this? Yeah. But if I just said to you now, or oh, you're in pain and I want your body to review your pain, mm -hmm. it would use all the same things as why you're at that level currently. Yeah. So I have to tell you loads of reasons why it's better to be out of the pain than to stay in mm -hmm. it. When it takes that into consideration, suddenly it comes up with a different calculation. Yep. Now, normally, it's I'll, to, I'll remove the pain back down to the base level again. Mm -hmm. I'll reset it to zero. Uh, remind me to come back to the um, smoke alarm theory. <laughs> uh, I'll reset it. So it normally does that. And uh, we had 216 feedback forms that we just happened to collect from. Uh, when I train people, I work... I, when I do it live, I've been doing mm -hmm. Zoom for a few years now, but when I do it live in a building, I get somebody in I've never met before. I've had a two-minute discussion with them on the phone, typically somebody with fibromyalgia, and um, I just make sure that they're up for it and it won't cause them any problems if they get free of the pain, like losing yeah. all the benefits and the house and the car and the kids yeah. and everything. Um, so I just check them out on the phone, make sure they're up for it, and then I bring them in and I just start all over again. I say, well, we had a couple of minutes on the phone, but I forgot what you said now, so what is it? And I work on them in front of five, six students. And, uh, and I remember that really well. And I think <laughs> what I really liked about that was it was your approach that you took. So we were seeing it live, yeah. but also I'd worked with two or three male trainers prior yeah. to that. And they tend to take a bit of a different approach. Now, how do I word this in, in a non-offensive <laughs> way? It was almost a, I'm here in the sort of like God yeah. complex. I'm Ooh. here to do this to you and you will be changed and you will feel better. And there was quite a yeah. lot of ego. So I found it really refreshing to watch you because you had a level of authority and you were quite direct with what you said, but you did it in such a, you did it in a kind way. There was that good balance. And it yeah. showed me oh, a way to perhaps be a little bit more assertive in the way that I worked in, in a really manageable way, though, and in a really helpful way for the client, rather than seeming aggressive or controlling. Yeah, yeah because the, you see, the, this person's probably tried everything. And, and usually I get people where they have literally tried everything. They've you know, been to 40 different types of therapies. Mm -hmm. uh, a woman last week had spent $30,000 on uh, a treatment so far. 
Um, so, so I work on somebody at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, typically with fibromyalgia, because I already know the story, and I'll talk about stories later. But if we find the story, that's how we get rid of the problem. That's yep. the cause of it remaining. Mm-hmm. So we get rid of the fear of whatever it is. So um, I work on them, and then uh, usually takes about just less than an hour. But it enables me to show as well as tell. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not just, oh, this is how it is in the theory. This is me working on somebody. Which was quite funny because somebody left the training one day and said, Stephen's so brave, he gets this person he's never met before and he just works on them. What if it didn't work? And I'd never thought of that before. It frightened frightened the hell out of me the next time I worked on somebody. Because I have this attitude that it's not that I know it will work, it's Mm -hmm. just that I don't even think that it won't work. And I think that's a really important belief system to have, isn't it, when you're doing this sort of work because you need that conviction. And I think if you're giving that message out there in your body language, the way you're speaking, that's instantly going to put your client at ease and it's going to facilitate that change. Absolutely. So I work on somebody, I get them out of pain, they come back in the room, everybody's sort of delighted, that person cries, hugs me. (laughs) You cry quite a lot as well, which I love to see. (laughs) I always like it whenever I've seen you get somebody out of pain and you're... Your eyes fill up with tears, and I just think that oh, right. shows just how oh, I, 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 caring I, you are. And this comes from a place where this really matters yeah. to you. You're here to make a big, important difference. I've and... got worse since you first <laughs> met me. I sometimes tell stories that I might have told ten times. And I told one the other day about a guy I handed him a chair because he couldn't lift his children, grandchildren up. And I did a treatment. I put a chair in his hands at the end, and, and he, he just sobbed. Oh. And I'd, I'd told that story about ten times, and the eleventh time I told it, I just wept. Oh. <laughs> um, because I suddenly realised what it meant to him as well. It's life-changing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is life-changing. You're helping that to happen, and, and you're the facilitator. I just love it. Anyway, so I'm moving. <laughs> I, I've, I entered about five different topics here and not finished any of them all. <laughs> so what happened was I'd get a feedback form filled in by them. I'd train the students up. And when they'd finished, literally, we had a tea break. And 10 minutes later, I'd bring people in for you to work on. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would take 15, 20 minutes. And we'd, we'd scroll through the people that were in the room, four or five people. And they'd all, all work on somebody. And, and occasionally, if they were struggling and they asked for help, I'd join in a little bit. But in, in the main, they would work on themselves. And they'd get people out of pain. And they'd fill in, uh, that person would then fill in a form uh, for the therapist that mm-hmm. worked on them this new therapist that worked on them. I remember being terrified when I had to do um, that in the group, full of everyone you, else well, you, just observing you me. You did very well. <laughs> um, anyway, they, um, we, we just sort of kept these forms and, and they, hid, they hid in various piles of other paperwork mm-hmm. in, in the office. And eventually I pulled them all out. I'd got 216 of them. So I studied statistics at one stage. I can nearly say it properly. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> So I did stats on these, and, and it worked out that 94... Sorry, they did a score at the beginning and a score at the end. So the pain might be 8 and mm-hmm. go down to a 0, or it might be 3 and go down to a 2 or whatever. So we got the beginning and end score, and I put all those in, and I did the stats on it. And in general, on average, 94%, the pain was reduced by 94%. Wow. The about seventy. I'm just trying to get these right in my head. About seventy-seven percent of the people that came left totally for M3, which is amazing. Which left twenty-three percent that left with some pain. Mm -hmm. So of course they had all the pain that was shown. 
So they got this 6% of pain that didn't go missing. Uh, and when they left, all their pain on average was reduced by 76%. Wow. So these are incredible figures. Mm-hmm. Um, so I forgot where I was going with all this. <laughs> so let's go back to the um, fire alarm. The fire alarm. Fire alarm. So the fire alarm analogy is that we only work on people when um, they've been diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Because if the pain went before they got there, they'd obviously get the wrong diagnosis. Yeah. And sometimes trivial things can be a sign of something far worse. Yes. There's things called red flag symptoms. Mm -hmm. And one that I've heard of is there's certain things in the shoulder that can hurt, that can actually be a sign of testicular cancer in men. Oh, wow. So I didn't want to learn those things because I didn't want to then sort of think, oh, I can go without the diagnosis because now I know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've never learned those. So all my faith goes in the doctors to go, get it right. Yep. And it will only go away if the doctors have got it right and it's not needed anymore. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a woman once that we, uh, one of my students worked with who had a, a cracked femur. Um, and he worked on her twice for this hip pain. She'd been tested out with the doctors. They couldn't find anything wrong. Couldn't get her out of pain. Rang me up, asked for help. And I advised him and all sorts of things. And a few months after the second session, he saw her in the town and spoke to her and she said, thank goodness the pain didn't go away. Okay. It was so annoying, I kept going back to the doctors and eventually he got all the scans and things out and he went, oh my God, I didn't see that before. Hairline crack of your femur. Uh, your femur. Wow. If that had broken, and it was quite likely to break at any minute, mm-hmm. it would have uh, ruptured your femoral artery. It Gosh. would have killed you. It would have killed you. Yeah. So we know that because we're talking to the part of the brain that's in charge of the pain signals, that it will only do it if it's right. And yes. even if you've been misdiagnosed, the body knows better than the doctor. Absolutely. Yeah. So, fire brigade. Now imagine if they come out and uh, you hear the fire alarm go off. Mm-hmm. That's now saying it's safe to go back in there. The fire chief says, well, we couldn't find a fire. Yeah, it's a false alarm. But we want you to take it serious. If it goes off again, it might actually be a fire. There might yep. be something smouldering somewhere we haven't noticed. Mm-hmm. If it goes, still get out of the building. Now, that's what they would do. But they'd never say, oh, well, we're sick of these fire alarms going off. We're going to leave it on. <laughs> because it only rings in the fire station when it first triggers. Okay. So it's your problem, not ours. Mm-hmm. We've got to leave it on. So for the next five years, you're in a building shouting at each other <laughs> because the fire alarm's on. Yeah. Now, you're not safe, because no. now you don't know if there is a fire, and if there was a fire, it can't tell you. Yes. Because it's already ringing. Mm-hmm. So that would be absolutely crazy. But that is chronic pain. Yeah. <laughs> this is an alarm that says, oh, you broke your bone five years ago. Let me remind you. Like, But it's mended. Wait, you see, that's care. pointless, isn't it? Because absolutely then if important. that signal's going off all the time then that's potentially masking other problems that you might need to be aware of that are going on either in that area or another area of your body. And and so this is the biggest argument we've got with the brain. I'd prefer a better word, but discussion we have. (laughs) I call it brain bargaining. So we're Mm -hmm. bargaining with that part of the brain to say, you've taken this into account, but you don't need to. That's mended now. Mm -hmm. That's mended as well as it's going to be. Yeah. So it holds on to it for various reasons. There can be trauma, mm-hmm. there can be uh, injustice, mm-hmm. uh, things hurt more if uh, somebody does it to you yes. than if you did it. Uh, I had an insurance case recently where somebody 
was in a lot of pain, but you know, they um, there's lots of things hidden. About, there was a CCT footage of his accident and it got thrown away and, and, and he was in so much pain because there was all this injustice around, yep. well, you've hurt me, you know, I just want you to admit it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about the money or whatever, it was about, please somebody admit it instead of pretending yeah. that I was at fault. Mm-hmm. So he's holding on to this blame and shouldn't have been there and if I hadn't have done that and if I hadn't have gone there that day and that keeps him trapped in pain. Yeah. And that's just horrendous. Mm-hmm. So so I see chronic pain as something it shouldn't exist on the planet. There shouldn't okay. be such a thing as it. And it's very rare I can't help somebody out of pain. Mm-hmm. Chronic pain. Because it's not needed. So as soon as I find out what it is I throw that back on them and say, that's all it is. Do you want to stay in this pain? Are you willing to let go of that particular Mm -hmm. thing? And if they say I want to let go, then I just talk to them in a way that their body goes, ah, right, I'll let go. So the main thing that I've pulled from teaching it for seven years is that when I talk to people now, I'm talking to them I'm talking to them consciously. Mm -hmm. I've stopped doing the uh, trance work because I don't feel it's necessary. And a few people quite wrongly fear hypnosis. Mm -hmm. It's not anything like anybody thinks. But we won't go there because that's a half an hour topic. (laughs) Um, So I say no, it's not, you know, it's not true. Anybody says hypnosis, I'm not saying no because I don't like hypnosis because it comes from hypnosis. I'm actually saying I don't need to do that because I Mm -hmm. can reach you unconscious anyway. So when I'm talking to somebody... If I use a lot of logic and common sense and care for them, like you mm-hmm. pointed out, if I'm actually showing them that I'm really interested in finding out what it is and getting helping them get rid of it, then they go along with me. And if they're doing that, then the unconscious is not, uh, not trying to fight me. Mm-hmm. It's not rejecting things on the basis that, well, I know better than that. Yep. It's listening and going, well, yes, I do take that into account. Oh, no, you can't do anything about it. Oh, so I'm giving you pain to get you to do something about it, and you can't do anything about it. Oh, so I could perhaps just stop sending the message out. Yeah. And this is the thing that people don't get, that it's instant. Yeah. Because pain comes on an instant. You touch a hot thing, you don't mm. want to wait five years for it to go, hey, that was hot five years ago. Yeah. And so chronic pain is just the same. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you've had it 10 years, 15 years... In one case, I spoke to a guy, he'd had pain for 59 years. Wow. He was 76. And it was all from lifting a cement bag when he was 17. Mm-hmm. And in two minutes, it's going to take me longer to tell the story than it did for me to get him out of pain. I literally found him at an event. I had a stall there. He was, the, uh, he was running the event. And mm-hmm. um, elderly guy, quite tall, um, but literally in agony. And I said, I can help you. And he said, well, you can't. I'm 76. I'll, even if you could help me before, over what it was originally, I'll have arthritis there. Mm-hmm. I'll have all the usual elderly things. Yep. Well, I'm 70 in April. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, age is nothing. It's absolutely nothing. Anyway, so I ignore all that. And I say, well, you know, how did you cause it? And he mm-hmm. said, well, I lifted a bag of cement when I was 17. I said, a lot of people are at the backs. Bags of cement were 100 weight, 8 stone. And they were so big, you couldn't bend your knees to lift them. You'd literally bent over double. So Mm -hmm. when you pulled them up, you strained your back. I did it myself. I said, they're half that size now. So you can't possibly, that can't happen to you again. I said, but I think this is your protective system saying, if I give you backache, you'll never try and pick it. Mm -hmm. 
So you couldn't do it even if you tried now. And you don't want to lift another bag of cement, do you? And he went, well, I'm 76. I went, no, I want a firm answer. Will you ever lift another bag of cement? He said, no. I said, well, you don't need the pain then. Yeah. And I set up this, um, I asked people directly, do they want to let go of the pain? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then I asked them in the way that their unconscious can answer me. And it's just called a nidia motor response. Uh, And typically it's a forward lean, just Mm -hmm. standing up, leaning from the ankles. And that, shows them that it's not them yes it feels really spooky you, you end up sort of <laughs> leaning forward going what the hell's going on here so i set that up and i just say are you willing to let go of this pain mm-hmm. now this old pain message and it goes yes and it just removes the old pain message yeah and as you say that stops it disguising new pain in mm-hmm. that area so it's safer to be out of old pain than it is to stay in it yep so, so that's what we're doing, is just asking, the, bargaining with the brain, finding out the reason, even if we can't find out the mm-hmm. reason, because some of my students will say, oh, that's difficult, and it's not as difficult <laughs> as it sounds. Um, even if you can't find it, you can actually say, well, look, we've prod and probed, and we've done all these things, uh, gone into your past, and I can't find the reason why you're still holding on to it. Because of that, are you willing to let go? Yeah. You know, because some people say, oh, no, I want to keep looking. Well, they keep paying for the rest of their life while mm-hmm. they look for this fine detail they want to find out. Whereas if the mind can't recall it, then how is it even relevant in some ways? Well, yeah. so sometimes it, it's, it's that the mind doesn't want to tell you what caused things. So if yeah. we move from physical pain to emotional yeah. pain. So with trauma, um, mm-hmm. it, it's usually trauma-based. I say usually around the five, six, seven area. It can be different mm-hmm. ages, but... In the main, on average, I would look around that age first. Okay. So what, what would happen is, when I just dealt with anxiety, I would take somebody back to that age. Mm-hmm. Th- there's a way of doing it. You can do it mentally, or you can physically walk backwards and yep. get a timeline. There's l- lots of different ways of doing it. Or now I just talk to people and get them to do it. So if you get them back to a certain age, and they've had anxiety all their life, mm-hmm. and you get them to six, and it's really bad there, and they can feel this really bad sensation... And then you just go, well, let's just slip you into five. So we slip them into being five-year-old, and then their anxiety goes. Yeah. Because they hadn't learnt it when they were five. Mm-hmm. So now you can go back to six and be quite definite that's when it started. So when I got them to a very definite age of this is when the problem started, I'd say, I want your unconscious to reveal it to you. Yep. Sometimes I didn't even need to say that. They'd mm-hmm. say, oh, I'm at school, somebody's beating me up or whatever. Yeah. Um, but one in four people would go... I just feel terrible and I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't show them. Okay. Now, I have a, a very easy way of working with the unconscious because I totally trust it and I totally believe it's out to help you. Mm-hmm. So if I use that sort of you being helpful attitude rather than you've got this wrong, yeah, it's far more helpful. And that's why I don't need the trance bit because I'm not trying to push the consciousness out mm-hmm. of the way from interfering and all the rest of it. Things that we sometimes have to do. So I'm, I'm talking direct to the unconscious, and I'm, I'm saying, well, look, you don't know this. Um, you know, this person's had this problem all their life, but I've helped thousands of people get rid of this. And if you show them what it is, I can show them as an adult what happened to them as a child. They can deal with it better, and then we can get rid of it, and I'm very good at helping people with that. Now, you don't know that, but I'm thinking you might not be showing them this because it's so traumatic you don't want to them to remember what it is and now they've got the image and everything else and it might refresh you Mm -hmm. 
So I would agree with you if you don't want to show them it. But I'm going to give you the choice now, knowing that I can help them with it if you show them it. Will you show them it? No. <laughs> then I say, okay, we're going to throw it away then. Because mm -hmm. these are the two choices. You yep. show them it or we throw it away. And then I did a technique and... and um, in the older days, it was always hypnosis. So mm -hmm. I put them into hypnosis. I'd get them to remove this thing from the head, full technique, that where they took it out, they visualised it, they felt it. I'd involve things like tinfoil and that, so they got I... sensations and mm -hmm. the imagination was fully involved. So Because anything you do in the mind is as real as reality. Yes. So if you think you've took this old idea that you're not allowed to see and you crunched your spoon silver tinfoil and you put it in your hand you've gone to my dustbin outside this is just in your mind and you've put it in the dustbin not the recycling bin um and you put it in the bin and then you've seen the dustbin lorry go until it disappears you can't get that thought back again mm -hmm. because the brain goes well i'll go looking for that oh we threw it out the other day yes so it doesn't go looking for it and then I, i'm not a big fan of having to replace everything you take out okay so what I do is I, I talk about um, neural pathways. Mm -hmm. Now, neural pathways form when you think of a new idea. And at first, they're really fine filaments. And if you don't think of that thing again for three days, they dissolve again. Mm -hmm. Now, if you keep using the same thought pattern, that thing gets stronger and stronger. Yes. So if you've had anxiety since you're six, and, and I think the oldest person I worked on was 81, mm -hmm. um, if you've had that anxiety program you've developed this into a neural highway yes so and i think everything else joins in with it mm -hmm. because if you wanted to go to a shop 50 miles away and you live next door to a motorway you're not going to use all the back roads to get no. there so i think when you develop new thoughts it sort of goes down the neural highway a bit and then it branches off to that makes so much sense so you're actually going to be using these all the time now if we said oh i want those to dissolve now they're not mm -hmm. used anymore We've got a fairly good, strong, healthy system there. Mm -hmm. It's just that what's at the end of it is the wrong thing. Yes. So it's, it's leading you to an anxiety you mm -hmm. don't need at the moment. Yep. So what if we replaced what's at the end of it mm -hmm. and we clean it out, see it as a warehouse, and we clean out the warehouse and we bleach it and everything, and it's absolutely empty, and you start again with all your problems... And you can fill it up for years and years and years before it ever gets full again. Because mm -hmm. uh, your problem is it's full. <laughs> and so what if it led to love, joy and peace? Oh, lovely. So I designed this idea that they threw this thing away. And when, mm -hmm. when they were coming back in the room, this is still while they're sat in the chair, <laughs> I would say, look, um, I'd ask them, what do you want it replaced with? And nobody would know. So I just started saying, I've got a jug of love, joy and peace. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm just going to pour that in your head. And so all those neural pathways are going to take it to the end destination. Mm -hmm. And whenever you would have been triggered for that old anxiety now, you're just going to get this feeling of love, joy and peace. Okay. And I'd say, now, I'm going to tell you why I've chosen love, joy and peace. Because, oh God, I'm quite emotional. I chose it because you can't run out of those things. No. You see, if you give love, joy and peace away, you get more of it back Definitely. than you gave away. Mm -hmm. And it has to be unconditional. You see, people don't understand unconditional love. I have unconditional love for everybody on the planet. Yes. Doesn't mean I like what some people do. Mm -hmm. and, and I won't put up with crap. Yes. <laughs> 
But it does mean that I respect them as a human being mm-hmm. for they're probably doing the best with what they know and the facilities exactly. they've got. Exactly. Even if sometimes it might seem evil. Mm-hmm. So unconditional love is not saying, I love you if you love me. Yes. Which we get into relationships like that. Oh, mm-hmm. you're showing me a bit of love. Well, I'll show you some love as well. Oh, now I'm giving you more love than you give me. You've got to show me more love. And that's not unconditional <laughs> no. love. Unconditional love is, is when you smile at people in the street. That's unconditional love. When I say a client, I just want the best for them. Mm-hmm. And there's something magical that happens between two people. And they don't, I don't have to tell them that. No. that they pick up on it mm-hmm. somehow. Yes. So I never have arguments with anybody. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. So I, I get somebody in and, and it's this unconditional love. Now, when you're giving out unconditional love... You're not so paranoid about where you're going to get it from anymore. No. You're not having to find that perfect partner that would love mm-hmm. you all the time, even if they're in a bad mood. You get love back from all different directions. It's really strange. It's amazing, isn't it? And, and, and Debbie will join him because she's just the same. Um, <laughs> and and we, we go to mind-body-spirit events, and, and there's certain stallholders. We, we just treat each other like family. It's amazing, yeah. isn't it? It's always it's like my favourite weekend, sort of, it's because good. we all just give each other great big hugs. We value each it's... other. We chat to each other, and we all support each other because yeah. we're not coming from a place of ego in that moment. We're coming from a place of we Absolutely. just want what's best for the other person. But we're not on the phone to each other in between all that. Right? No. We're not sort of like you know, oh, we're best buddies. And, you know. <laughs> um, so what do you mean I'm not your best buddy, well, Stephen? <laughs> How you dare are. you? you are. <laughs> Um, you actually do I. I. I thought of you as my best man for the wedding. <gasps> I would love that. Would you? Yes. <laughs> well, you might, you might be the person that's doing the wedding. Yay. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I'm going to struggle to concentrate now. <laughs> so, if you give out unconditional love, you're actually not bothered if that person doesn't show you in return. Mm-hmm. But they'll go off and they'll be nicer to people. Yeah. And suddenly it goes right around the world. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's absolutely magical. And, and it really has a genuine effect because I, I had this technique where I did it on myself. Okay. I'd fill myself up with love. Mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd, and in fact, let's do it. Let's do it with the audience. Yay! Okay. <laughs> so what, what you do is uh, just sit back in your chair, get nice and relaxed. Now, I want you to think of somebody or something that you love, if you haven't got anybody in your life that you, you absolutely love. Could be your dog. I mean, it's anything. Mm-hmm. Something that you've got unconditional love for. Now, just feel that love inside of you. Now, allow that love to start spinning round and expanding within you. Imagine it now pushing from the area that you felt it, and it's getting more across your body, and it's spreading out, but it's just as strong... It's just expanding out all those molecules and it's filling your whole of your body up now. Almost a bursting point, so it's coming through your skin. Now, allow it out, so it goes out. Now it's going across the room. And I can feel it from Debbie here already. <laughs> it's going across the room and imagine it going across the whole of the county that you're in, the country that you're in. And imagine, because we're on a globe, imagine you're on the top of the globe and gravity just takes it off to every single corner of the world. And everybody that it goes past, it touches in some way, just some small way, and they feel good. So they're smiling at other people, and they feel good. And the whole thing now is spread right around the world, right to the underneath of the world, and now it's coming back. And as it comes back, it's got 
Eight billion people have touched this and have felt it. So it's expanding now by eight billion times and it's coming back right into your body and just feel that coming into you, filling you up with absolute love. Oh, I love that. That's brilliant. Now, I did that eight years ago Mm -hmm. at a Mind Body Spirit Fair and I opened my eyes and a woman called Trudy Randall was walking towards me. (laughs) I love Trudy. And uh, she gave me this wonderful smile and I went, I love this woman. Oh. And we're getting married next year. Yeah. <laughs> and we've been together ever since. So th- this, there is something magical about this. It's, it's not words, it's not expressions, it's not even your features or, or, or just a smile or whatever. Mm-hmm. There is something about having that sensation and that people pick up on it. Mm-hmm. And I even did it on somebody because I excluded one person from this. And I'm not going to mention who it is because this will go out loud. <laughs> but I went to uh, see them a few weeks later. And I went in their house and, and spoke to their wife and uh, just said hello. And they turned around. And they hated me as much as I disliked no, okay. them. And they just turned around and said, hi, Steve, how are you doing? Really friendly. And I thought, oh. nothing's changed between us. I haven't mentioned that I've got this different attitude. Uh-huh. He couldn't have seen a different attitude because he's only back towards mm-hmm. me. And suddenly he now was really friendly and open with me. It makes a massive difference, doesn't it? And I mean, my kids get fed up with me going anywhere we go. Yeah. I'm always chatting to people. Yeah. But people just know me. And they're like, oh, you're friends with everybody, mummy. And I think it's just a vibration just yeah. a resonance that you yeah. give off to the rest of the world when you feel that unconditional love within yourself and for everyone else it's, it's a noticeable. wonderful thing I, I attended a thing in scotland whereby um we went to a, a, a monastery and I, i've had two real massive experiences there but the first time i went i i came away from it and i'd just been around the monastery and that i didn't feel any different mm-hmm. but i went to bed and woke up in the morning with that sort of um, what do they call it when you enlightened yeah. now I didn't know enough about enlightened whether you got enlightened in stages so I felt a bit enlightened mm-hmm. or whether it happened in, when you were enlightened you were enlightened I didn't know but I woke up feeling enlightened and it was really strange because the bedroom in Scotland had shutters into the curtains mm-hmm. and I knew it opened up on a courtyard and nobody overlooked the courtyard okay. and, I, and I was naked and I opened, <laughs> opened the shutters and and the sun was coming through from that direction. And it was almost like I was being beamed up or something. And I stood there like this. And I, I was just like loving this sensation. But I had all sorts of knowledge. And I had, I'd worked out answers to things that I didn't even know I needed an answer to. Amazing. And there was two guys on the course I'd never worked hmm. with. And they kept making you move seats to work with people. And of course, you won't get around everybody yeah. because there's about 40 other people. Mm-hmm. But there was two guys I'd never worked with. And I, I didn't dislike them or anything. Yeah. Um, I wasn't not you know, non-attracted to mm. them or anything. So um, I thought, I'm going to see them because I know what it is. I know why I've not talked to them. And, and I'd worked it out that I'm not very good at small talk. Okay. So if I go in a room and it's a room full of strangers, I look round the room and you're actually looking... Who's going to keep my gaze just that split second? Ah. It's almost like an invite. Because if somebody looks at you and they go and turn away, mm-hmm. it's like they might be as shy as I am. Yep. And I'll go up and talk and we'll both go, no, mm-hmm. yeah, what do you want to say? 
and it's going to be awkward. But if somebody keeps your gaze just that split longer, you think, oh, they can do all the talking and I can join in if I feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's happened. So I walked into the building, and these two guys, I'd never seen them before, yeah. and they're chatting like they've known each other all the time. And I went to them, I said, can I come in at some point? And they went, yeah. I said, I've just worked out well, I've never worked with you. And I gave this theory, and I said, but you two are getting on really well. I've never seen... Oh, no, we just worked out that we get on. And he said, we've only just met ten minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we decided that this. So on this basis of this theory, the guy did it for his uh, topic to work for his master's. Wow. Because his wife goes in shops and talks to the person behind the till and all yeah. that. Yeah. And he doesn't know what to say. So he, mm-hmm. he, um, he mirrored her for a while. And yeah. he just went around doing this and sort of like, what do you talk about? How, what do you say? How do you... So there's something wonderful about having this openness. And you do get so much love back. And we Definitely. drifted right off topic. We have. We? <laughs> we're always coming to an end as well. We'll just have to come back again another day. <laughs> well, that, that's why I did it. <laughs> I'll be able to watch this back and go, all right, I need to make some notes next <laughs> But I think it's these discussions that I think are helpful to people because, mm-hmm. you know, set pieces I don't, I don't think work very well and it no. gets boring. Um, and sometimes, you know, your mind works on things to finish off the conversations we haven't finished. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're bit, but the, the whole purpose of this really is that if you've got chronic pain, you don't have to put up with it for the rest of your mm-hmm. life. And if you see somebody who knows what they're doing and they can get you to change your mind over pain, mm-hmm. it can be absolutely instant. Yes. And I would just like to add to that. So it's only a very small example, but since you taught me the brain bargaining, I will use that frequency frequently. And there was one time last summer when I was out in the garden and I stung my arm with nettles. And I moved away instantly, swelled up, but it really stung. So I just said to my mind, I'm not going to do that again. You've yeah. let me know yeah, that I've brilliant. caused some pain, but I've moved away from the nettles now. You've given me that warning. Please turn it off gone like that and it wow. just vanished so there's a Did lot the of... swelling go down as well because that sometimes very happens. very quickly yes mm. uh, and th- this is the magic of it all because th- they say that science can't explain all this but recently science is catching up so things that i've been teaching well i've been doing for 12 years 11 years now and teaching for seven science now explains mm-hmm. why it works yeah. which i find incredibly funny now <laughs> and i even had only a few weeks ago, I trained two neurologists. Amazing, because so you got... had so much backlash and stick, yeah. particularly when you started out, didn't you, for oh, what you were doing? Absolutely. Yeah. You see, it is, it is unique for somebody to say, you don't need pain at all. Mm-hmm. Most people say, well, we, we will manage it, we'll turn it down a bit, we'll do, or we'll numb it, which I mm-hmm. don't agree with at all. That's quite dangerous, except in temporary situations. Um, and I was saying, but it can go away. And, and people are going, but nobody can do that. And so they had their pitchforks out, didn't they? Yeah, <laughs> where's the science behind it? And I actually wrote to a, a top pain scientist about six years ago and, and, and offered him to teach him this work. And he wrote back and he used the, used the word um, guru uh, and he might as well put deluded guru in front of it. <laughs> Uh, and I've looked at his work now, and he's actually catching up with what Amazing. I do. Amazing. But he's not got the end result that mm-hmm. I get. So I was going to write to him, but I think I'll make him beg now. 
I think <laughs> I think I'll get him just to phone me. Just keep sending the unconditional love, and eventually yeah. he'll get that message and come to you. I think so because some people get locked into well, this is better than what's been there before, but but then then you hear this and it's sort of like oh, but I've been telling everybody how to manage it and I'm really good at that, but this is yours and it's not mine and. It, they get very precious with mm. going back to their old ways of doing things. Yeah. And to, to me, I, I just get so emotional about that people shouldn't be in pain. No. And uh, a lot of people do work on themselves and journaling and all that, and that's great, mm -hmm. and that might get you out of pain. But that can take a couple of years yeah. for, the, for the people that do it, mm -hmm. and most people give up on it. Mm -hmm. And I just want the message out that, you don't need to do all this work yourself and you don't need a lot of education and typically when I'm at events half an hour is long enough to get somebody out of pain that's yeah. been in for years so um, yeah, there's I, hope I think that's an amazing point to leave it at and I just yeah. want to say thank you to the contribution that you're doing not only to the therapeutic world with all the people you're educating to then go yeah. out and help other people but yeah. you're of service to the planet and you're yeah. you're really committed and passionate to helping people out of that pain so thank you for everything that you do for us all thank you yeah. trying to make me cry a <laughs> <laughs> little bit <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah so thank you ever so much for listening to us today if you've got any comments or any questions please do contact either myself or Stephen and he's brilliant. up all pain to go as you can yep. see on his shirt here yep. so yeah whatever you're doing have a brilliant day take care and I shall speak to you again soon bye bye for now bye if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you are interested in what we do, please go to my website, www.tranquil-awakenings.co.uk. As well as information on the therapies I offer, there is also links to my Past Life Regression Therapist Programme and my Professional Hypnotherapy Training Programmes. If you are looking for online training for self-development, please go to debbieison.thinkific.com and also remember to follow me on social media. Simply on Facebook, type in Tranquil Awakenings to find my business page and I'm also on Instagram. I love hearing from you. Please do send any comments or questions and if you have any ideas of what you would like me to talk about on future episodes, please do send me a message.